Welcome to the Maintainable Software Podcast, where we explore the art of improving existing software with seasoned practitioners who have helped organizations work past the problems often associated with technical debt and legacy code. I'm your host, Robbie Russell. On this episode, we are joined by Mark Kilby, who is the founder and a distributed agile guide of K5 Labs and co-author of the book, From Chaos to Successful Distributed Teams. Mark joins us from Orlando, Florida. Mark Kilby, we're so glad to have you join us on Maintainable. Welcome. Thanks, Robbie. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. I'm so glad you were able to make it. So let's talk a little bit about maintainable software as the first topic. Um, I ask most people on the show, as you reflect on your experience in the industry, what do you believe are a few common characteristics of, dare I say, maintainable software? Really, for maintainable software, it, it, it actually kind of reflects back on the team as well. Is the team itself maintainable? Does the software communicate easily what its intentions are? Is it is it communicate easily when it's having problems, whether it's having whether it has automated tests wrapped around that or some other form of testing to communicate back to the team? I'm having issues. I can't work well today. <laughs> so it's it's really how how does the team communicate with that piece of software to know whether it's in a good state or not? What what, what are some bad scenarios that you've seen historically where like some symptoms that things are not being well maintained? Well, if there is a fire drill every week, that's usually a good sign that things are not going good and that you have very unmaintainable code base. As part of that, though, it's not just the code base. It really gets into how the team operates as well. So how does the team share information about the code base? Do they have more of a philosophy around collective code ownership? Or is it, I own this piece, you own that piece, and don't cross my boundaries? Because when things break and that person might be on vacation, okay, then who crosses into the dangerous uh, forbidden territory to fix that problem? That's that's so-and-so's area of the code, or the, <laughs> yeah. they own that, let's and then you... I mean, been in enough conversations where you hear about the the bus factor conversation, like what if someone gets hit by a bus and then we can't have that happen. So I think everybody agrees that that's like worst case scenario, right? And hopefully nobody ever has to get hit by a bus for this to become um, a realization. Although I'm a little curious if that had happened and that's how it like originated, but we can dig into that some other time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I just go with the, okay, what if they won the lottery instead? Oh, that's a, <laughs> and they've, yeah, they, they just, they don't care anymore. Um, this is now your problem. Yeah, they don't, yeah. <laughs> not my, not my problem. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so we're remote right now. And in my company, we've been historically an in-person team you know, 70, 80% of the time where people would go work from home or from coffee shops for a day, approximately every week or a couple half days or afternoons or something like that. We've been very flexible with that. So we're in, if you, a year ago, I was like, I don't know how, how the heck we would ever survive organizing our work if we weren't all in the same space on a regular basis. Or I kept telling myself that, but anyways, a year later, we're seemingly doing okay. We have different types of issues and concerns, and I wanted to dig into some of those types of topics. And this isn't just my goal to just get some free consultation from you. I want to, I want this to be helpful for the everybody else in the audience, but to some degree, this is me being a little selfish as well. I'm curious though, what are some technical hurdles that you've seen remote teams in particular struggle with working on, say, older code bases? Lack of access to the thinking that went around that older code base, whether it's I maybe if it's a larger organization, I can't get a hold of the person that originally wrote the code, or that person's long gone. They didn't leave any notes, or they left some notes that were very sketchy. Let alone they left comments in the code that are old and crufty, and I can't make any heads or tails out of it. So that's where if teams have skills around automated testing and starting to to wrap the known pieces around some automated tests. So as they start poking at the other parts, it's like, okay, we can regression test with the known pieces. We can see where things break while we're trying to figure out these other other parts of it. Uh, but if they don't have those skills and they don't have a technology base to do that, that becomes, it just becomes a slow, painful process, I find. 
I've I've been in scenario. I work in the consulting side of things myself, and so we're we're, we're an agency, and so we're often coming into scenarios where there might be a small team, and you know, at a, on the client side where someone's leaving in the next few years or something, or maybe even sooner, and and they have all this information in their head, and there's this kind of like you go into those scenarios when they're like, it's either just ask me if you have any questions, and I'm happy to help point you away, or let's sit, let's let's get in front of a whiteboard, and I'm going to do a big brain dump. And I hope that you can retain everything I've just said, because this will be the one time that I'm able to do that for whatever reason. And found myself being like, oh my gosh, this is so complicated in person sometimes just to be like, hold on, I, I feel like, how do we uh, take take a moment? Like, I need to understand this concept that you're trying to explain before you go too far off, because, you know, you can't spend like a couple hours in front of a whiteboard and just understand everything about the ecosystem until you like really have to go make changes and make modifications and be like, oh, right. I've been curious about how teams are able to effectively do that sort of thing remotely when they're relying on maybe some Zoom calls or it might be there's not a whiteboard maybe necessarily in the same way. Have, have you seen some useful tooling and approaches that help teams kind of have those types of conversations and not have it feel like it's just like every time you have a question, just go out and reach out to that one person that's the uh, domain expert on that one particular thing? There's a lot of hints from the open source community because that's been remote for a long time. And how do you get somebody into the code as quickly as possible, maybe making some small changes and realizing, oh, some things are not working the way I'd expect. Now I can ask better questions from that expert. And maybe I'm not the primary committer, but I can make some suggestions and then find out from them, oh, why isn't this a good approach? Tell me more about that. So it's getting others who are not experts into the code as quickly as possible and more than one. So, so as soon as you can get some others in there. So let's say you have an agile team doing um, two week sprints, for instance. So can you mix it up where maybe somebody different is in every two weeks? If it, if you know this person's leaving in particular, so you get different people in the code base, trying different things and you're building up more of a collective knowledge. And as part of that, how do you want to capture that knowledge so that it is more collectively owned? How do, what's the best way to do that? Is it getting it up in a shared repository? Is it writing some, you know, getting some gist down and if you're doing like Git or something like that, so that the, the team can build up that collective knowledge and the, then the expert can say, oh yes, and you forgot about, because then they'll see some key things that are people are not catching as well. So it's how do you set up some regular conversations around this unknown piece of code? That's a, I like that idea of rather than just putting a few new people into it, but like having that be like a thing that you keep doing with a number of people so that you kind of have to go through and that person's going to probably maybe needs to explain it to multiple people, but you're broadening the, the, the knowledge around the team and sharing that a little bit more, whether or not they're leaving. I feel like that's obvious. I mean, I would imagine that's also would be a really effective thing to do before someone's going to go on vacation for a long time as well. Like, you know, that happens. They're like, well, let's get out of everything sorted out before you go on vacation or worrying that people like I worry that there's people that don't take enough vacation time or longer vacations because they're worried because they have, you know, a, for a good reason they're they have a sense of ownership and they they care and they don't like, well, I don't want this to fall over. They feel like they're responsible for it. And also at the same day, there's like there's there's something liberating about it, being able to be like, the team has my back, the team has the business's back also. So it's not just a matter of helping you, it's about helping the business because if you know you might want to leave at some point, or what else could you be? Maybe you find something else to own in the long run or something as well. And that Yeah. And so a great way to be proactive instead of reactive is when you're integrating new team members. So the term is onboarding. I, I'm not really crazy about the term onboarding because people sound like cargo then. <laughs> so, so I try to avoid that term, but it's it's what most people understand. But the idea is when you bring somebody on, can you bring them into some of those lesser known parts of the code? Can they pair up with that expert? And then can you get them to then work with somebody else in that piece of code? Maybe the expert says, hey, I'm going to maybe help this other team for a while. Can you two work on this? I'm still available for questions. So uh, that's a more proactive way of getting that knowledge spread around and getting it all out of the expert's head. And just to play, because I'm imagining there's a few engineers listening that think, that sounds great. 
nobody ever, we don't have enough time. There's not enough time for me to like sit down and explain this complicated thing because I've got a lot of things to do already. And so now I'm going to have to sit down and like walk someone through it, like baby step them through this process when I can just, it'll be quicker right now. We'll get to that maybe next month. Right. I know that because I've been that person many times myself and like you, you find the the, the little reason like, Oh, and I've always often in retrospect, I've always kind of, when I look at that now on myself and I see myself doing it still to this day at times, I'm like, Oh, I'm actually a little embarrassed about the fact that I can't explain this really eloquently or I haven't done enough to provide more documentation and more clarity around how this works already. And so I'm like, oh, this is just going to like that to me, that ends up being like the real root of my issue for wanting to do it. And if I'm being really, really honest with myself about it. And so it's like, ah, cause you know, everybody, it's like when you introduce something, you're like, well, come over and like, well, let me clean up a little bit before you come over, you know, and, and fortunately we're in a pandemic, so we don't have a lot of visitors, but coming over our houses at the moment, but there's still that kind of like, just let me do a little bit of cleanup and then you don't spend the time to do that. So then you're like, I don't want to show you my messy, like this thing that I've messed that I've made, but Hey, it's all stable as long as I know what, what's going on. But it's like, don't ask me where anything is, but I'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So here's, here's how I got over that. I've worked in many different industries and there, there were several times where I was the expert and I had that messy code base and I was the one getting the 2 AM calls when it broke. I got tired of that. I got really tired of that. And I realized how much time it would take me to recover. And I realized, wow, if I spent more of that time up front, getting others involved, maybe getting their ideas on how to clean up the code maybe getting their ideas on how to how to make it a lot cleaner and incorporating that and getting the others to help me with it, it saved a lot of time for me. I got a lot more sleep. I got time to do fun things <laughs> outside of the office. And uh, that's what got me off of that particular uh, trap there. Interesting thing about ownership. Um, so there's another thing. I don't know if this is something you've, just the way you're, you're talking about those 2 a.m. calls, my, as I've, you know, grown and aged over the years, my capacity is not what it maybe it once used to be. And so I'm like, oh, I don't mind taking the burden of this because I've just got all this energy and I don't need to have quite as many hours of sleep as seemingly other people say I'm supposed to have. Um, I don't, now it's like getting enough sleep is like one of the most stressful parts of my life right now. I'm like, I'm not getting enough sleep. So what can I do to help provide more space for myself to do that and not worry about those types of things. It took me having some conversations with like my business partner about some things several years ago where like, what would it take for us to both be able to take a vacation for let's say a month at the same time, both of us, how, how, how could everything keep running? And like, like what would we need to do to make that happen? And so that was something that I was able to do. So just for those listening, you know, even though maybe a vacation or a sabbatical is not immediately on the radar, but those are things you could be thinking about like a year or two from now, you know, it doesn't need to be something you solve like immediately, but it's, uh, start thinking about it from that perspective has helped me at least to be like, Oh, let me think about how I would transition this stuff to other people. And then I can also then get to maybe learn and get to own something else as well in the organization, um, and be more helpful in other ways as well. You know, I, I live in Florida, and I sometimes I found that some of my best ideas were on the beach, but my laptop doesn't like the beach that much. <laughs> so so in order for me to get to the beach without my laptop, you, you had to find ways to separate and to step away from the keyboard for a while, and it, it makes a difference. We don't, we don't know. We, don't, we can't all be on call all the time because of one area, because businesses need to operate independent of our availability and we get sick and things happen and we, we win the lottery sometimes as well. I like that. How did you find your way into this line of coaching work that you do? That, that is a very good question. So I was, I was definitely one of those people that thought I could solve any problem with code. And then I found some problems I couldn't solve with code and it happened to, to deal with people and people issues. And I thought, wow, this is an interesting set of problems. I should try to figure these out as well. So I ended up spending more time in those kinds of problems and what were solution patterns as well as problem patterns. And I just gradually made the the shift over. And 
I still work with developers. I, I don't touch code these days. I mean, except for fun. So I, I would not put me near production code right now. They would, that would be a bad thing. But I, I work with development teams. I work with their managers. I work with their executives to try to help the whole workflow work better for them. And as part of that, it's really focusing on, do people really understand the goal they're going after? What is the goal the business is going for? How does their team's goal align with that? How do their personal goals align with that? So some of the best teams, whether they're remote or not, I found are ones that they're very clear on what they're trying to build, but also what each of the individuals on the team are trying to accomplish. So maybe you've got some people that are more focused on back-end work. They might be full stack, but they're, they work more back-end, server-side. But they want to pick up a little bit more of the front-end. Are there opportunities coming up in the work that we can maybe spread that around a little bit or pair up some more? Or maybe somebody wants to take it on more of a tech lead role. How do we provide that opportunity for them? So those teams that are really clear on both the individual goals and the team goals and how that team goal aligns with the business can get amazing things done for the team and for the business. Do you have a strong opinion about, we talk about there's different agile methodologies and approaches and it feels like everybody, everyone that I talk to seems to have their own kind of like, well, it's kind of like this, but a little different type of approach. Like what, here's our pattern that we're kind of following and it gets molded. And then you talk to some people and they're like, you're not doing it right because such and such book or, or such and such that coined the concept of what a scrum team should look like. And then it becomes this very debated, contentious thing where it's like, well, you're not doing it right. And then do you have strong opinions on that type of thing? My strong opinion is you should be pragmatic. I don't believe in agile sins, so to speak. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a, a good way. It doesn't help anybody. When I come in to work with a team, I try to understand what are they doing well now? Where are they struggling? And are there some, some things in the Agile toolbox that can help? I don't care if it comes from Scrum. I don't care if it comes from Kanban. I don't care where it comes from if it helps the team achieve those goals. I work with uh, all kinds of teams from startups to Fortune 50, and I've seen messes on both ends. And I've seen really good teams on both ends. So it's really getting to understand what is it they need help with. Really don't have much of a process. Okay, we'll, we'll start with one of those frameworks. But the goal is not to stay with that. It's what can you learn about how you can work better together? How is it going to work for them to reflect on their process? What worked well? How they keep improving? That's that's the sign of a good Agile team for me. Not whether they have certifications or they can recite the Agile manifesto. I, I'm not I'm not worried about that. Well, talking about this, I'm re- I'm reminded of a a time that we had a client who decided they were no longer going to work with us, and one of the reasons was they're like, well, this other company they do Agile, and I remember thinking, wait, well, what does that mean to you? And I don't really feel like I got a good clear, clear answer at the time. I mean, but reading through like, okay, they, they seem to appreciate requiring that the product owner of the client was going to be involved in a stand-up every day. So that way they felt they knew what everybody was working on a day-to-day level. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's interesting. We could have talked about that. You know, we have stand-ups on our own. We just weren't including the client necessarily in all of those. And some of our clients do have time for that. Some of them are like, why would I want to do that every day? And so we have to kind of massage our, our own process as a consultancy around, our clients and can't always just mandate like, well, every client's going to have to follow the same rigorous process and they'll have the same outcome. Um, and, I, and there's a, there is discussions internally on my team are like, why, why can't this client do it like this other client? If they did, we would just be way more successful with this project right now. And I'm like, well, that's a very different set of people there. They have a different capacity and what they're available for. Like they, they, they're interested in maybe checking in every, maybe once a week at most. Right. And so, and so there gets these weird, these, any advice for me on how to help clarify this to the team that we do need to be a little bit more versatile, uh, maybe even to some level on a client by client basis? You probably need to ask a similar question of the client and of the team. It would go something like this. When you are working at your best, it is like what? And just listen. 
Just listen to the response and be curious and dig in. So when they say, well, I just need to know when things go wrong, if it's the client side. Can you say more about that? What kind of things? And find out what if what have they gotten from other projects, other consultants, maybe internal things that have happened that's been a problem for them. Say, well, well, here's what we do to actually avoid some of that. Would that work for you? Or do we maybe need to modify it a little bit for you? I understand also being a consultant that you want to try to come up with some standard ways to approach things, but having that conversation around What's your current situation? What you, what has worked for you in the past and what hasn't? So we know not to step on that and then have that same conversation with the team. So what's worked in the past for us as a team? What do we want to make sure we're always doing? And what do we not want to modify out of the process? So again, when you're working at your best, it's like what? And so just listen for those responses. And thanks for that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do some reflecting on that and have some conversations with my team later today. You know, I'm also curious about, and kind of, you know, curious how, you know, you shared how you got into coaching and thinking about, you know, for those listening that might be, let's say they've been in the industry for a couple of decades, potentially at this point, and they're curious about moving into some type of coaching, um, whether it be on coding side or in kind of like on, in, in your area around co- coaching teams or coaching, mentoring software developers, helping teams level up. What sort of do you think that like it's a good path for everybody, or do, or do you feel like there's certain things you, you would encourage people to ask themselves before they ruminate about this 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 world where you could, you can go write books and write blog posts all the time and speak and be invited on podcasts and just be this treasure of uh, knowledge and wisdom to share with the world. <laughs> So I think I would answer that with, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> so uh, it is it is not always glamorous. I think what I would advise somebody, and, and I, I mentor some folks in this area as well. I ask them, what is it you hope to get from this new path? What is it you feel you're missing? So is it an opportunity to write more? Is it an opportunity to share your ideas? Is it you want to speak more? Well, how about you just start there? You don't have to make a major shift. Just try that part of it. And if you get opportunities to do that, and there are always opportunities, is it exciting or does it feel like a, like you're really having to slog through it and it's not as exciting as you thought? You know. So in that case, maybe that is not exactly what you want to do. Maybe you don't want to make a major shift, maybe a minor shift. Now, I will say these days, there are many people that call themselves coaches. I have no idea how they define that because the behaviors and outcomes I see don't seem to line up all the same. There's there's some moves in our industry to standardize that. I think it's really a long way off. But what I will say is technical coaching in particular is really at a need. So somebody who can be a good listener, be a good mentor, but also be up on the different technologies and help people not only learn those technologies, but learn how to explore. What's So that's, I, I come across many, knowledge, I'll say knowledge workers in general, whether it's developers, QA, business analysts, a whole slew of them that they kind of get in a, in a bit of a rut. And they just say, well, I just want to do this. Well, that's great. But what if that technology goes away? Or what if that part of the job goes away? What are you going to do? So having somebody who can also do a little bit of career coaching and and have them see there's a broader possibility. How do you stay aware of that? How do you look for those signals? Just as you would look for those signals in your code. So when you see that there's a problem in the code, how can you use that same skill, but tune it to your career or tune it to where the market is going? Having somebody who can coach in those ways these days is huge and, and greatly needed. And it's interesting that you were talking about helping people like to think a bit big, bigger picture at times where I work in an environment where I'm kind of known for working in this very specific technology and I have for 15, 16 years now or so. 
So it was in a weird way, it's like, oh, it's kind of like my weird brand now that I'm associated with this specific technology. But I'm like, I guess I'm curious about other things, but this is what people keep coming to me for. Like, hey, can you help us with this specific thing? And I know that like, if you would ask me like two years into it, I'm like, this is not a good long-term plan. But, you know, it's 15, 16 years later, and I still say the same thing. I'm like, this isn't a good long-term plan. Here I am, because uh, it's it's easy to keep doing what you know, right? And um doesn't mean I'm not curious and, and, and wanting to expand beyond that technology. Um, but it's just like this, it's, it, it's, it's helpful to get that reminder there. And so, well, well so I was going to say, but I'm betting that you don't just focus on that technology. I bet there's ways you engage with your clients. I bet there's ways you engage with your work and your team that are unique and that could be amplified in different ways as, as well. So if you start seeing signals where your core technology might be shifting, although I don't see any early indicators there, just, just to say. <laughs> but if, if you see it, because you're probably the best tuned for that, then you might say, oh, you know, this other thing my team's doing, we might amplify that a little bit more. We might start promoting that a little bit more. We might set some experiments around that to see, hey, we could teach you how we do this. So, so that kind of gets into the, the coaching side, that gets into different kinds of services. And this is also where, as a developer, I realized I had to do more than just code. If I, if I really wanted to do well in the business, I had to not only keep up with the technology, but I had to keep up with the soft skills. So I had to stay in network. So you you do a, a beautiful job through the podcast. And I'm sure there's other ways that you network with the community. That may not work for some. So how else can they get out there and connect with people? Are they connecting uh, through Stack Overflow or, or are they known in certain online communities? Great. Amplify that. What are some other ways, again, that you they can expand what they do and not just not just be known for one thing? We'll be back with our interview with Mark in just a moment. Hi, it's me, Robbie. I want to take a quick moment to say thank you for making time to listen to the Maintainable Software Podcast. If you're finding these discussions valuable, please consider sharing a link amongst your peers on social media and a writing review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. Also, do you know someone in the industry that I should be interviewing on Maintainable? Shoot me an email to Robbie with a Y at maintainable.fm and make your case heard. And now, let's get back to our interview with Mark Kilby. You've, you've written a number of articles and you've written books about this over the years about remote teams. You've kind of identified them into four different types of teams. And there's a recent article titled, Is Hybrid Remote Going Backward or Forward? And just for, for clarity for the audience that hadn't had a chance to look through the article yet, can you describe these four different, either satellite, cluster, multi-hybrid, and the uh, cloud or nebula? The neb- nebula, yeah, yeah. So... As I started working with my co-author on the on the book, and even a little bit before that, I was noticing these are some patterns I'm seeing. Uh, so the satellite is usually one or a few people that are working with a group located in an office. I know it's been a year or so since we've seen that, but just bear with me. <laughs> or with larger teams, you might have a cluster of people in one location, a cluster in another, and those clusters work together. So that's the cluster configuration. And then Nebula, a a newer name for that is remote first. So everybody is remote. They work remote. It doesn't matter where they work. It doesn't really matter when they work. They They have ways of working. They have workflows so that they know how everyone contributes to the overall product and how they move it forward. And then there's the hybrid, especially when you get into larger projects, larger products, and you get a mix of that. So the the point of the article was over the last year, we have all been these nebula teams. We've all been remote first. However, remote works best when it's a choice. And pretty sure most of the planet didn't have a choice in the last year. And so now that people are coming out of it and you're seeing you're seeing this all over the media about, oh, hybrid remote is the way. Well, many people are forgetting that those satellite and clusters, those were like the 
not the awesome cases. <laughs> those those were like the worst cases where some people would feel really isolated from what was going on in the office. In the clusters, you might get an us versus them kind of rivalry going. Get some really unpleasant dynamics happening between the clusters. And that was the point of the article is if those kind of hybrids are what we're going to be very careful because there's a whole slew of problems we've conveniently forgotten because we're so eager to get back in the office. And there is some ways to counteract that, but just just not to rush back in to hybrid teams. Just be very mindful of some of those problems we faced. And I, I go into some of that in the article too. It's interesting. The um, We're literally putting all of our stuff into storage in a week. So um, our office, because our lease was up this next month and we're like still a ways away. And, and if you ask anyone on the team right now, like, do you all want to come in the office? They're like, yeah, sometimes, not all the time. We've hired a few people that are in different states over the last year. And we'd already planned on like, I guess it kind of falls under the satellite. We're like, we're going to become a more satellite friendly environment. We're not going to require everybody to live in Portland, Oregon to work at our company anymore. We want to find good talent, but we also knew that like this is going to cost and we we're like a, before the pandemic, we knew that it was going to be like, well, how do we make sure that person feels like they're part of the team that they're because we do a lot of in-person cultural type activity things together. Like I'm like, how do we replicate that for someone like the, the, that one or two people that are remote when we've all been remote? Like that's been an awkward thing to figure out even like, OK, how do we all cultural th- activities or team activities together in, in real time as well? And there's almost like a, okay, real time is actually really expensive. How do we become more asynchronous friendly? And like, there's a lot of these different things that are going on in parallel. And there's sometimes I'm like, it might be easier for me to just say, nope, once we're all clear, everybody back in the office, we'll figure this out another time because I don't know how, because I don't really know what it's going to look like. And I think a lot of companies, what was the point of your article? It's like, everybody knows that everybody's going to be a little, like there's some people that are working remotely and are like, this is great. I'm so glad I'm doing this. I want to keep doing this. And there's some people that, that are doing it right now. And they're just like, I can't wait to get back in the office. And there's some people that don't know one way or another. They're like, they might have mixed feelings about it. And I've also talked to people that were remote prior to the pandemic. And they're like, this is nothing like what remote was like because before the pandemic, because yes, it's great that everybody else is now way more accustomed to doing things remotely, but you know, like one of the benefits of why I work remote is because I live off somewhere and I, I was able to take like longer breaks to go to the gym in the day. And I had like my own flexible schedule and like, and there's, there's other things that I was able to do to make it work with my life, but I haven't been able to do that. I'm just as stressed as everybody else is right now. It's not easier for me because I did this for several years before that. So anyways, it's a, it's a messy thing. And I'm, I'm glad you wrote the article and I've been sharing with a bunch of peers that run companies because I'm like, because I, I don't think anyone's there's like a, oh great we're not going to pay for rent maybe <laughs> yeah yeah so that that sounds that sounds exciting as a business owner but how does it work for the team so and and that's again I would go back to your team and say okay what is it what is it you liked about being in the office some of you said you've liked being remote what is it specifically that you liked about being remote is there something we can do going forward to to have both of those and just be really mindful of the answers and kind of keep the conversations open. So the team might come back and say, Hey, it's those social events. Cool. So how can we make this work for the remote folks? Do we fly them in occasionally? Do we rotate who flies in? Do we try to replicate some of this online? Do we do something like, what I've written about in the past about a buddy system. And I, th- and I think there's a link in that article about whoever's in the office buddies up with somebody virtual to make sure they're connected, they're involved in what's happening in the office so they don't miss some of the serendipity that happens in the office. So there's multiple ways to do that, but you got to find out, you know, like your software project, what are the requirements? What are the requirements of the team in this case? You've assembled the great team, they're all over what's going to work best for them. And so I would listen very carefully about, oh, you know, this part about remote is I can kind of set more of my own hours, but I do like collaborating. Okay. So what about collaborating? Is it having certain hours that you can connect and bounce ideas off the team and also having some asynchronous time that you can just focus? Great. Let's talk about how we shape that. I like that. The um, One of the things that we've been experimenting with 
pre-pandemic that I think we're, I'm so glad that we did about a year before it was we started making it so that, cause we don't do pairing all the time on, on our projects. And it was always like, a, as needed, if you have some trouble, you like, would come up and stand up, like I might need some help with someone. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll sit down for, with you for a couple of hours on that. So it'd be a little bit more ad hoc. But then we found that we had junior developers that we were hiring that they knew that they could do that, but they felt like, I feel like I'm pulling that person away from some, something else that's like, so I feel like a burden. And we're like, oh, we don't want you to feel like that. So as a team, we're like, let's experiment with having consistent times Every week, everybody's going to pair with a couple different people. Like two, I think we settled on two different people every week. You're going to have a dedicated time. You two can schedule that, put it on a recurring thing, and we're just going to cycle. Everybody's going to pair with everybody on a rotation, and so that way, there's a specific time in place. You know that you can bring your questions to, or you can pair on something you want to, or you can pair on what someone else is working on. You're going to work on, and that was a, that was helpful. You can still do the ad hoc when you're in a pinch, but at least we remove the need to ask for it. Through the pandemic, we've been able to keep that remotely, and that's, I think, helped a lot with their junior development, even with anyone on the team, to be honest. But I think th- that sort of thing is was a way to help offset the going remote thing. And I'm, so I don't – but it's not going to work – that won't work for everybody. But I think that at least – I wanted to remove the reliance on trying to schedule things. When is this going to look good for like, let's just get this on the calendar so we're not worried about this anymore. It's It's already there. You can shift it around. If it's not going to work today, but at least like don't put it off. Like let's just not put things off. So people aren't pairing. We're, we see that now as a problem. Like, oh, what's going on? We even just haven't paired in two weeks with anybody. I've had some teams where sometimes it's just the opportunity to connect with other people during the day. Sometimes it's I, I really need to solve a problem. So um, you also need to look at, do I really need to make things so formal? So maybe you have a regular time for a stand-up, for instance, but you might say, hey, anybody who wants to kind of shoot the breeze, you know, just kind of talk, be on 10, 15 minutes early. And then when the stand-up starts, okay, we'll get to business. And if somebody has something they want to troubleshoot later, just say that during the stand-up and whoever can hang around afterwards will do that. What I what I found in those cases, though, is many teams will hang around, like the entire team will still hang around to hear, oh, what's the problem? Maybe we can solve it together faster. And I've seen this happen several times with several different teams where they really are curious the different approaches people have to the problems, and they're they're learning from each other more rapidly by having that little bit of flexibility. So it's not scheduling another meeting; it's just having kind of a a loose boundary around some certain meetings, so they've got that free time available to them. And in, and in those moments, do you find that teams are able to have some of those non-planned, serendipitous moments? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes they'll wander off into, you know, other conversations. And if somebody's got to go, they got to go. But you just make it very clear, you know, here's when the business of the meeting happens, the stand up and everyone knows what what that's for in your team. But here's some like some kind of loosely defined times where if you want to take advantage of that, great. And you don't have to schedule another time. And if you want to just talk about what's happening in the office, virtual or real, you know, that's a time for that. Or if you want to talk about family or weather or sports, go for it. I think that's great. And it's hard to figure out, like we've tried to do things like scheduling, like we, we, we've got burnt out on like the uh, Thursday after, like after the end of the day, happy hour Zoom, like that, 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 that eventually, we, it was great for a while. And then we're like, I, I forgot to re, renew the auto scheduling thing. And then and I realized that nobody, nobody complained, nobody asked about it. Where, where did those go? We found other fun little activities because we, we, we've had like a film club or a book club type thing in office. So we've been able to like replicate some of that and like that can be fun, but not everybody's going to be able to participate or is interested to do all those things. And it's nice to connect with people though. So, well, so here's another idea on the, on the social side of it, because it's, I feel it's just as important for a remote team. So one company I was in, they had the, they had a channel called engineering that nobody ever used and nobody ever spoke in because it was the whole engineering group. And so they said, can we just change it to the lounge? And they changed it to the lounge and it blew up with all kinds of stuff, vacation pictures, Spotify playlists, all kinds of stuff that got so busy. They, they decided we need to split this off. So they kind of set up special interest groups. So there was a motorcycle group. There was a bicycling group. 
of course, there was a board gaming and a video games group. And so all these groups popped up where people could kind of connect with each other outside of the conversations at work. And this was in a startup that was growing quick. And we found there was actually some business value to this because as people moved around to new projects and new opportunities, they would often find, oh, I bumped into you in the motorcycle group, or I bumped into you in the DIY house improvements group. Oh, yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation. So they already had some connections going into a new team. And that was super helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but like for those larger organizations, as people move around, we've always been in the 12 to 20 person range or so. And the uh, and I was we were we ended up creating like a channel called La Cafe, fifteen years ago, and like when it was an IRC channel. Um, so we've always been doing some sort of chat thing, even if we were in the office. I remember we used to get there were several. It's funny now, but like 10, 12 years ago, people would be like, start the rejoiner company, and they'd be like, "This is so weird that like you're literally sitting four feet away from someone, and you're chatting with them. Why don't you just ask them?" You know, and it's like, oh, well, yeah, you could do that too. It's just the way I always kind of visualize it or explain it to people is like, when I think of like interrupting someone, I'm like, chat, I feel like people can set their notifications and they can respond to it or look at it. But if I'm like waving my hand and like just start talking at someone, they're, they're, I'm going to disrupt them. And so like, that's one of the reasons why things like Slack and those types of tools have been helpful, but we're also on the flip side of now also feeling like it's actually a huge burden, like to keep up on everything. And all this activity happening, and we don't need to get into the, all the ins and outs of just how complicated that is for everybody. Everybody kind of needs to manage that for themselves. Um, how much the manager notifications and everything. Well, yes, but we've got some great examples out there. Like if you if you go to GitLab's uh, employee manual, they write out everything that they do. And so, I mean, yeah, it's a huge company now, but you can you can tap into some ideas. A lot of people do. And there's others out there that they publish, hey, here's how we kind of operate. And it it's a great place to go to look for ideas and say, oh, maybe we should try this. So like, like what you t- described about the pairing, you try that for a while and you probably checked in with everyone after a while and said, hey, how is this working? Is there anything we need to change? It's exactly what you should do. Try it for a while and just check in with folks. I like that. One of the several years ago when I always felt like instituting or like change always felt like this big thing. I'm like, how am I going to get people on board with this? And as soon as I started injecting, let's try this or let's pilot this out for the next three months or so. Everybody's like, Oh, I, it's, there's like a time box to it. Like admittedly, like I don't always go back and be like, okay, it's three months later. How's everything going? It's just like, everybody's like moved on and they do the thing that, you know, I had pitched at the time or the team I'd put together. I'm like, Oh, that wasn't so hard. As long as I'm not like saying this is forever. Cause we also want to be like, let's, let's just say that this process is no longer serving the value or this specific meeting we have on the calendar, even though we've got an agenda, we're not finding that it's providing the value that we once thought it used to. Do we need to recalibrate it? Should we get rid of it? I don't replace it with something else or just what if it just went away? Let's experiment with like not doing that for a month or pilot that out. And then does anyone notice? So it's it's interesting how these things evolve over time and they don't have to feel like they're long-term forever decisions, which I think just makes it hard for everyone. Like, well, we got to get this right the first time. Yeah. Avoid the trap of it's just the way we do things around here. It's always interesting how people will come in and will ask questions like, well, why are we doing it this way? And you're like, well, I've had this conversation, I feel like, with 10 different employers over the last 10 years, right? And you're like, okay, it's the way we've always done it, but it's also like, well, that's a good question. Do, do I feel as strongly about it as I used to five plus years ago? And that starts to get whittled down. And I can't tell sometimes if I'm like, am I defending the old guard way of doing things for a good reason? Or is it just because I'm Going back to that earlier point, I'm like, I'm not spending the time to really think like, okay, maybe there's another way to envision this. Like, what do you propose differently? And I don't also want, don't want to put the burden on the person that's asking the question to like, come to me with a solution. Cause I think that's sometimes the advice we see get circulated as if, um, go to management, but like, if you have a problem, come to them with a solution, but that's not always everybody's on the individual level to figure that out either. And so I think that's, that's like, I feel like that's a cop out for anyone in a management or leadership position to just be like, come with me with ideas. And, and, and so in, in that case, one to, you know, protect yourself against the old guard mindset, it's asking, you know, do I have the exact same team? Do I have the exact same clients? Do I have the exact same work? Probably not. 
so you know, th- you think about what's different, and then with that in mind, you talk to the person who brought the idea and say, okay, have you thought about how this might work? Maybe we can talk through that really quickly. Maybe we can sketch out a rough idea of how it'll work and how long we might experiment with it. Hi there. Do you know someone who might be looking for assistance with their Ruby on Rails application? Planet Argon would love to meet them. We're offering a $1,000 referral bonus. Send someone our way, and if they sign up for services with Planet Argon, we'll give them a $1,000 discount. And in return, you'll get a check for $1,000 in the mail, just for knowing the right person. Hop on over to planetargon.com referrals for more information and to refer someone our way. That's planetargon.com referrals. Thanks. All right, so a couple of quick last questions for you, Mark. So let's imagine that there's a few software engineers listening to the episode, and they've been at their company for a few years now, and might be feeling like they're frustrated by how their team is organizing and or communicating about the work that you know amongst their team. You know, outside of them thinking the grass is greener somewhere else, I'll get a job at a company that has their you know has their stuff together. What advice could you offer them on how to raise these topics today? Yeah, so the the way it started for me is. What experiments could I propose? What and how would I see it helping my team and helping the organization? Because if you could start framing it that way, you've got a better chance of other people listening. If it's all about you, guess what? Nobody's going to buy in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really thinking about can I make a can I make a small suggestion to try something. Can we try something for a month? Can we try something for two months? Let's check in every, you know, we may not even wait for two months. We might check in every couple of weeks with people and and we'll maybe we'll set up a separate chat channel on that. Maybe we'll just kind of reach out to people, however it's easiest for people. And we can loop in appropriate management and say, hey, here's here's how things are going. Here's what's not working so well, but this is kind of different. And I think this will make a difference. Trying to take ownership of the problem, you might make a change, and hopefully you will. But even if you don't, and you decide, okay, I can't make it work here, you have a great story to tell at the interview. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's yeah. a good point. Like, well, like, why are you looking for a new job? I tried well, this. Let me tell you. I tried this. Think. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it it shows that you really tried to make things work at the current place. And hopefully it will work, but I can't guarantee that. It it depends on many different things. But seriously, though, if you can put in context of what will help the team and what will help the organization, you will hopefully get some valuable feedback. If it's, oh, we just can't make that work here, well, you might have your answer faster rather than you expected. I also know that you have another book coming out. Could you tell our audience a little bit about it? Ah, yes. (laughs) So, it it's kind of goes back to your last question. So the the book still doesn't have a title yet, but it it's basically how do you approach things with an open mindset? How do you look for some of those signals that's happening around you? Are you personally experiencing some signals from you, from how you're feeling? Are you feeling run down? Uh, and is that giving you a signal that, oh, I'm working too many crazy hours or like we talked about before, oh my gosh, I'm getting a little bit older now. I can't work the hours I used to. That's a big signal for some of us. And how do you step back and reflect on that? So how do you do a bit of a personal reflection? How do you look at what is an experiment I need to set up? Or maybe I need to set up a whole new purpose. So like we talked about somebody making that shift from developer, senior developer to maybe to a coach. Okay, well, there's some ways to explore that further. So the book goes into that more. We're also doing some mini workshops around that with my partner, April Jefferson. And so we've got a whole collection of techniques for really for people to explore some of these questions about where can I do better work? Where can I do something better? So you can think of it as a agile manual for the self in a way. Interesting. 
I'm definitely keeping an eye out for that for everybody, and we'll include links to um, your website and your Twitter and everything as well for everybody. Um, another thing I also like to ask everybody is, is there a non-software, non-technical book that you find yourself most often recommending to people? Oh, there's a few. <laughs> I think probably one of the best ones, and it's it's an old book, but it's still very relevant. Covey's Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. There's still some great lessons in there. Things like uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood, which we've we've talked about even in this one a little bit. Another one is sharpening your saw, making making sure you're always at your best to deliver your best. And what does that mean? I, that's, it's still a really relevant book. I feel like it's such an interesting thing about our industry where I'm fascinated by how, how often people will reference some of these older books, relatively older books, I should say, because we, we work in an industry where we're always like looking for that new technology, that new piece of advice, that new, some new wisdom or, or something to disrupt the status quo. Right. And but sometimes it's always like, well, at the end of the day, we're performing a certain set of skills on a, day, a regular basis, and we can improve these skills. Focus is a difficult thing to master and make sure you're questioning whether or not are you working on the right thing or the, the appropriate thing or the thing that's moving the things in the right direction. Those are, I feel like, challenges that are timeless in many ways. So I think it's, it's great that we can kind of go back and reflect on these things. And so definitely include links to that book as well for everybody in the, um, in the audience in the show notes. With that, where can listeners best follow your ruminations about agile, coaching, software development online? Yeah, so the best place is my website, markkilby.com, M-A-R-K-K-I-L-B-Y. Uh, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Just search for Mark Kilby and you'll, you'll find me and, and I can give you links to that as well. And happy to reach out. You can reach me directly through the website too. Excellent. Well, it's been such a delight having you join us on Maintainable Mark. Thank you much for talking shop and feel free to send me over an invoice for the free cons or I'm air quoting consultation time that you provided <laughs> me today and for my company. So um, yeah. very much appreciated that. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks for the time. 